0: Chapter 38, Part 1 of Principles of Geology This is a LibriVox recording, All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell, Section 86 Laws which regulate the geographical distribution of species. Continued. Geographical distribution of animals. Buffon on specific distinctness of quadrupeds of old and new world. Doctrine of natural barriers. Different regions of indigenous mammalia. Europe, Africa, India and Indian archipelago. Australia, North and South America. Quadrupeds in islands. Range of the cetacea. Dispersion of quadrupeds. Their powers of swimming. Migratory instincts. Drifting of animals on ice floes on floating islands of drift timber migrations of cetacea habitations of birds their migrations and facilities of diffusion distribution of reptiles and their power of dissemination geographical distribution of animals although in speculating on philosophical possibilities said buffon the same temperature might have been expected all other circumstances being equal to produce the same beings in different parts of the globe both in the animal and vegetable kingdoms yet it is an undoubted fact that when america was discovered its indigenous quadrupeds were all dissimilar to those previously known in the old world the elephant the rhinoceros the hippopotamus the camelopard the camel the dromedary the buffalo the horse the ass the lion the tiger the apes the baboons and a number of other mammalia were nowhere to be met with on the new continent while in the old the american species of the same great class were nowhere to be seen the tapir the llama the peccary the jaguar the koga the agouti the paca the coati and the sloth these phenomena although few in number relatively to the whole animate creation were so striking and so positive in their nature that the great french naturalist caught sight at once of a general law in the geographical distribution of organic beings namely the limitation of groups of distinct species to regions separated from the rest of the globe by certain natural barriers it was therefore in a truly philosophical spirit that relying on the clearness of the evidence obtained respecting the larger quadrupeds he ventured to call in question the identifications announced by some contemporary naturalists of species of animals said to be common to the southern extremities of america and africa The migration of quadrupeds from one part of the globe to another, observes Dr. Pritchard, is prevented by uncongenial climates and the branches of the ocean which intersect continents. Hence, by a reference to the geographical sites of countries, we may divide the earth into a certain number of regions fitted to become the abodes of particular groups of animals. And we shall find, on inquiry, that each of these provinces, thus conjecturally marked out, is actually inhabited by a distinct nation of quadrupeds, it will be observed that the language of buffon respecting natural barriers which has since been so popular would be wholly without meaning if the geographical distribution of organic beings had not led naturalists to adopt very generally the doctrine of specific centres or in other words to believe that each species whether of plant or animal originated in a single birthplace reject this view and the fact that not a single native quadruped is common to australia the cape of good hope and south america can in no ways be explained by adverting to the wide extent of intervening ocean or to the sterile deserts or the great heat or cold of the climates through which each species must have passed before it could emigrate from one of those distant regions to another it might fairly be asked of one who talked of impassable barriers why the same kangaroos rhinoceros or llamas should not have been created simultaneously in australia africa and south america the horse the ox and the dog although foreign to these countries until introduced by men are now able to support themselves there in a wild state and we can scarcely doubt that many of the quadrupeds at present peculiar to australia africa and south america might have continued in like manner to inhabit each of the three continents had they been indigenous, or could they once have got a footing there as new colonists? At the same time, every zoologist will be willing to concede that even if the departure of each species from a single centre had not appeared to be part of the plan of nature, the range of species in general must have become limited under the influence of a variety of causes, especially in the class of terrestrial mammalia. Scarcely any one of these could be expected to retain as fair a claim to the title of cosmopolite as man. Although even the human race, fitted as it is by its bodily constitution and intellectual resources to spread very widely over the earth, is far from being strictly cosmopolite. It is excluded both from the Arctic and Antarctic circles, from many a wide desert and the summits of many mountain chains, and lastly from three-fourths of the globe covered by water where there are large areas very prolific in animal life, even in the highest order of the vertebrate class. But the habitations of species are, as before stated, in reference to plants, circumscribed by causes different from those which determine their stations, and these causes are clearly connected with the time and place of the original creation of each species. As the names and characters of land quadrupeds are much better known to the general reader than those of the other great families of the animal kingdom, i shall select this class to exemplify the zoological provinces into which species are divisible confining myself however to those facts which may help to elucidate some principle or rule apparently followed by the author of nature in regard to that mystery of mysteries the first peopling of the earth with living beings first then the european region comprehends besides europe the borders of the mediterranean and even the north of africa and extends to asia beyond the ural mountains and the caspian Although the species are almost all peculiar, the number of characteristic genera is remarkably small. The bear, the fox, the hare, the rabbit, the deer, and almost every European form is found equally in several of the other large provinces of Mammalia, where the species are distinct. Even the mole, Talpa, although confined to the northern parts of the Old World, ranges eastwards, as far as the Himalaya Mountains. Secondly, the African fauna, on the other hand, is singularly rich in generic forms, not met with in a living state in any other region. The hippopotamus, for example, of which two very distinct species are known, the giraffe, the chimpanzee, the blue-faced baboon, the four-fingered monkeys Many carnivora, such as proteles, allied to the hyena and a multitude of other forms, are exclusively African. A few of the species inhabiting the northern confines of this continent, such as the dromedary, lion and jackal, are also common to Asia, and a much larger number of forms belong equally to the great Asiatic province, the species being distinct. The elephant, for example, of Africa is smaller, has a rounder head and larger ears than the Indian one, and has only three instead of four nails on each hind foot in like manner not one of the three african species of rhinoceros agrees with one of the three indian kinds thirdly the southern region of africa where that continent extends into the temperate zone constitutes another separate zoological province surrounded as it is on three sides by the ocean and cut off from the countries of milder climate in the northern hemisphere by the intervening torrid zone In many instances, this region contains the same genera which are found in temperate climates to the northward of the line, but then the southern are different from the northern species. Thus, in the south, we find the quagga and the zebra, in the north, the horse, the ass, and the gigatai of Asia. The south of Africa is spread out into fine level plains from the Tropic to the Cape. In this region, says Pennant, besides the horse genus, of which five species have been found, there are also peculiar species of rhinoceros, the hog, the hyrax, among the pachydermus races, and amongst the ruminating, the cape buffalo, and a variety of remarkable antelopes, as the springbok, the oryx, the nu, the lycoufée, the pigarga, and several others. Fourthly, the assemblage of quadrupeds in madagascar affords a striking illustration of the laws before alluded to as governing the distribution of species in islands separated from africa by the Mozambique channel which is three hundred miles wide madagascar forms with two or three small islands in its immediate vicinity a zoological province by itself all the species except one and nearly all the genera being peculiar the only exception consists of a small insectivorous quadruped Centetes found also in the Mauritius, to which place it is supposed to have been taken in ships. The most characteristic feature of this remarkable fauna consists in the number of quadrumana of the Lemur family, no less than six genera of these monkeys being exclusively met within this island, and a seventh genus of the same called Galago, which alone has any foreign representative been found, as we might from analogy have anticipated in the nearest main island. Had the species of quadrupeds in madagascar agreed with those of the contiguous parts of africa as do those of england with the rest of europe the naturalist would have inferred that there had been a land communication since the period of the coming in of the existing quadrupeds whereas we may now conclude that the mozambique channel has constituted an insuperable barrier to the fusion of the continental fauna with that of the great island during the whole period that has elapsed since the living species were created. Fifthly, another of the great nations of terrestrial mammalia is that of India, containing a great variety of peculiar forms, such as the sloth bear, Proculus, the musk deer, moscus, the nilgao, the gibbon, or long-armed ape, and many others. Sixthly, A portion of the islands of the Indian archipelago might, perhaps, be considered by some geologists as an appendage of the same province. In fact, we find in the large islands of Java, Sumatra and Borneo the same genera, for the most part as on the continent of India, and some of the same species, for example, the tapir, tapirus malayanus, the rhinoceros of Sumatra and some others. Most of the species, however, are distinct and each island has many and even a few genera peculiar to itself between eighty and ninety species are known to inhabit java and nearly the same number occur in sumatra of these more than half are common to the two islands borneo which is much less explored has yielded already upwards of sixty species more than half of which are met with either in java or sumatra of the species inhabiting sumatra are not found in java borneo contains the greater portion upon the whole if these three large islands were united and a fusion of their respective indigenous mammalia should take place, they would present a fauna related to that of continental India, and comprising about as many species as we might expect from analogy to discover in an area of equal extent. The Philippine islands are peopled with another assemblage of species, generically related to the great Indian type. Seventhly, but the islands of Celebes, Amboina, Timor, and New Guinea constitute a different region of mammalia more allied to the australian type as having an intermixture of marsupial quadrupeds yet showing an affinity also to the indian in such forms as the deer cervus the weasel viverra the pig sus the macaque monkey cercopithecus and others as we proceed in a southwesterly direction from celebes to Amboyna, and thence to New Guinea, we find the Indian types diminishing in number and the Australian, that is marsupial forms, increasing. Thus in New Guinea, seven species of parched quadrupeds have been detected, and among them two singular tree kangaroos, yet only one species of the whole seven, that is the flying opossum, Petauris ariel, is common to the Indian archipelago and the mainland of Australia. The greater the zoological affinity, therefore, between the latter and the new guinea fauna, although it seems in some way connected with geographical proximity, is not to be explained simply by the mutual migration of species from one to the other. Eighthly, When Australia was discovered, its land quadrupeds belonging almost exclusively to the marsupial or parched tribe, such as the kangaroos, wombats, flying opossums, kangaroo rats and others, some feeding on herbs and fruits, other carnivores, were so novel in their structure and aspect that they appear to the naturalist almost as strange as if they were the inhabitants of some other planet. We learned from the recent investigations of Mr. Waterhouse that no less than 170 species of marsupial quadrupeds have now been determined, and of the whole number all but 32 are exclusively restricted to Australia. Of these 32, nine belong to the islands In the Indian archipelago before mentioned, and the other twenty-three are all species of opossum inhabiting the tropical parts of South America, or a few of them extending into Mexico and California, and one, the Virginian opossum, into the United States. Ninthly, it only remains for me to say something of the mammiferous fauna of the North and South America. It has often been said that where the three continents of Asia, Europe and North America approach very near to each other towards the Pole, the whole arctic region forms one zoological and botanical province the narrow straits which separate the old and new world are frozen over in winter and the distance is further lessened by intervening islands many plants and animals of various classes have accordingly spread over all the arctic lands being sometimes carried in the same manner as the polar bear when it is drifted on floating ice from greenland to iceland But, on a close inspection of the Arctic Mammalia, it has been found of late years that a very small number of the American species are identical with those of Europe or Asia. The genera are in great part the same or nearly allied, but the species are rarely identical, and are often very unlike, as in the case of the American Badger and that of Europe. Some of the genera of the Arctic America, such as the musk ox ovibus, are quite peculiar, and the distinctness of the fauna of the great continents goes on increasing in proportion as we trace them southwards, or as they recede further from each other, and become more and more separated by the ocean. At length we find that the three groups of tropical mammalia, belonging severally to America, Africa and India, have not a single species in common. The predominant influence of climate over all the other causes which limit the range of species in the mammalia is perhaps nowhere so conspicuously displayed as in North America. The Arctic fauna, so admirably described by Sir John Richardson, has scarcely any species in common with the fauna of the state of New York, which is 600 miles further south and comprises about 40 distinct mammifers. If again we travel further south, about 600 miles, and enter another zone, running east and west in South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, and the contiguous states, we again meet with a new assemblage of land quadrupeds, and this again differs from the fauna of Texas, where frosts are unknown. It will be observed that in this continent there are no great geographical barriers running east and west, such as the high snow clad mountains, barren deserts, or wide arms of the sea, capable of checking the free migration of species from north to south. But notwithstanding the distinctness of those zones of indigenous mammalia, there are some species, such as the buffalo. Bison americanus, the raccoon Procyon lotor, and the Virginian opossum, the Delphys virginiana, which have a wider habitation, ranging almost from Canada to the Gulf of Mexico, but they form exceptions to the general rule. The opossum of Texas, the Delphys carnivora, is different from that of Virginia, and other species of the same genus inhabit westward of the Rocky Mountains, in California for example, where almost all the mammalia differ from those of the United States. Tenthly, the West Indian land quadrupeds are not numerous, but several of them are peculiar. And eleventhly, South America is the most distinct, with the exception of Australia, of all the provinces in which the mammalia can be classed geographically. The various genera of monkeys, for example, belong to the family of Platirini, a large natural division of the Quadrumana, so named from their widely separated nostrils. They have a peculiar dentition, and many of them prehensile tales and are entirely unknown in other quarters of the globe. The sloths and armadillos, the true blood-sucking bats or vampires, Philostomide, the capivara, the largest of the rodents, the carnivorous quatimondi, nasua, and a great many other forms are also exclusively characteristic of South America in peru and chile says humboldt the region of the grasses which is at an elevation of from twelve thousand three hundred to fifteen thousand four hundred feet is inhabited by crowds of llama guanaco and alpaca these quadrupeds which here represent the genus camel of the ancient continent have not extended themselves either to brazil or to mexico because during their journey they must necessarily have descended into regions that were too hot for them in this passage, it will be seen that the doctrine of specific centers is tacitly assumed. Quadrupeds in islands Islands remote from continents, especially those of small size, are either destitute of quadrupeds, except such as have been conveyed to them by man, or contain species peculiar to them. In the Galápagos archipelago, no indigenous quadrupeds were found except one mouse, which is supposed to be distinct from any hitherto found elsewhere. A peculiar species of fox is indigenous to the Falkland Islands, and a rat in New Zealand, which last country, notwithstanding its magnitude, is destitute of other mammalia except bats, and these, says Dr. Pritchard, may have made their way along the chain of islands which extend from the shores of New Guinea far into the southern Pacific. The same author remarks that among the various groups of fertile islands in the Pacific, no quadrupeds have been met with except the rat and a few bats as above mentioned, and the dog and a hog which appear to have been conveyed thither by the natives from New Guinea. Rats are to be found even on some desert islands, whither they may have been conveyed by canoes which have occasionally approached the shore. It is known also that rats occasionally swim in large numbers to considerable distances, geographical range of the Cetacea. It is natural to suppose that the geographical range in the different species of Cetacea should be less correctly ascertained than that of the terrestrial mammifers. It is, however, well known that the whales which are obtained by our fishers in the South Seas are distinct from those of the North, and the same dissimilarity has been found in all the other marine animals of the same class, so far as they have yet been studied by naturalists dispersion of quadrupeds. Let us now inquire what facilities the various land quadrupeds enjoy of spreading themselves over the surface of the earth. In the first place, as their numbers multiply, all of them, whether they feed on plants or prey on other animals, are disposed to scatter themselves gradually over as wide an area as is accessible to them. But before they have extended their migrations over a large space, they are usually arrested either by sea or a zone of an uncongenial climate or some lofty and unbroken chain of mountains, or a tract, already occupied by a hostile and more powerful species. Their powers of swimming Rivers and narrow friths can seldom interfere with their progress, for the greater part of them swim well, and few are without this power when urged by danger and pressing want. Thus, amongst beasts of prey, the tiger is seen swimming about among the islands and creeks in the delta of the Ganges, and the jaguar traverses with ease the largest streams in South America. The bear also, and the bison, cross the current of the Mississippi. The popular error that the common swine cannot escape by swimming when thrown into the water has been contradicted by several curious and well-authenticated instances during the floods in Scotland in 1829. One pig, only six months old, after having been carried down from Garmouth to the bar at the mouth of Spey, a distance of a quarter of a mile, swam four miles eastward to Port Gordon and landed safe. Three others of the same age and litter swam at the same time five miles to the west and landed at Black Hill. In an adult and wild state, these animals would doubtless have been more strong and active, and might, when hard-pressed, have performed a much longer voyage. Hence, islands remote from the continent may obtain inhabitants by casualties which like the late storms in Mauritius may only occur once in many centuries, or thousands of years, under all the same circumstances. It is obvious that powerful tides, winds and currents may sometimes carry along quadrupeds capable in like manner of preserving themselves for hours in the sea to very considerable distances. And, in this way, perhaps the tapir, tapir indicus, may have become common to Sumatra and the Malayan Peninsula. To the elephant in particular, the power of crossing rivers is essential in a wild state for the quantity of food which a herd of these animals consumes renders it necessary that they should be constantly moving from place to place the elephant crosses the stream in two ways if the bed of the river be hard and the water not of too great a depth he fords it but when he crosses great rivers such as the ganges and the niger the elephant swims deep so deep that the end of his trunk only is out of the water for it is a matter of indifference to him whether his body be completely immersed, provided he can bring the tip of his trunk to the surface, so as to breathe the external air. Animals of the deer kind frequently take to the water, especially in the rutting season, when the stags are seen swimming for several leagues at a time from island to island in search of the does, especially in the Canadian lakes, and in some countries where there are islands near the seashore, they fearlessly enter the sea and swim to them. In hunting excursions in North America, the elk of that country is frequently pursued for great distances through the water. The large herbivorous animals, which are gregarious, can never remain long in a confined region as they consume so much vegetable food. The immense herds of bisons, Bos americanus which often in the great valleys of the Mississippi and its tributaries blacken the surface of the prairie lands, are continually shifting their quarters, followed by wolves, which prowled about in their rear it is no exaggeration says mr james to assert that in one place on the banks of the platte at least ten thousand bisons burst on our sight in an instant in the morning we again sought the living picture but upon all the plain which last evening was so teeming with noble animals not one remained migratory instincts besides the disposition common to the individuals of every species slowly to extend their range in search of food in proportion as their numbers augment a migratory instinct often develops itself in an extraordinary manner when after an unusually prolific season or upon a sudden scarcity of provisions great multitudes are threatened by famine it may be useful to enumerate some examples of these migrations because they may put us upon our guard against attributing a high antiquity to a particular species merely because it is diffused over a great space they show clearly how soon In a state of nature a newly created species might spread itself in every direction from a single point. In very severe winters, great numbers of the black bears of America migrate from Canada into the United States. But in milder seasons, when they have been well-fed, they remain and hibernate in the north. The reindeer, which in Scandinavia can scarcely exist to the south of the 65th parallel, descends in consequence of the greater coldness of the climate, the fiftieth degree in Chinese Tartary, and often roves into a country of more southern latitude than any part of England. In Lapland and other high latitudes, the common squirrels, whenever they are compelled by want of provisions to quit their usual abodes, migrate in amazing numbers and travel directly forwards, allowing neither rocks nor forests nor the broadest waters to turn them from their course. Great numbers are often drowned in attempting to pass friths and rivers. In like manner, the small nori rat sometimes pursues its migrations in a straight line across rivers and lakes. And Pennant informs us that, when the rats in Kamchatka become too numerous, they gather together in the spring and proceed in great bodies westward, swimming over rivers, lakes and arms of the sea. Many are drowned or destroyed by waterfowl or fish. As soon as they have crossed the river Peginsk, at the head of the gulf of the same name, they turn southward and reach the rivers of Judoma and Okotsk by the middle of July, a district more than 800 miles distant from their point of departure. The lemmings also, a small kind of rat, are described as natives of the mountains of Kolen in Lapland, and once or twice in a quarter of a century they appear in vast numbers advancing along the ground and devouring every green thing. Innumerable bands march from the Kolen through the Norland and Finnmark to the western ocean, which they immediately enter, and after swimming about for some time, perish. Other bands take their route through Swedish Lapland, to the Bothian Gulf, where they are drowned in the same manner. They are followed in their journeys by bears, wolves, and foxes, which prey upon them unceasingly. They generally move in lines, which are about three feet from each other, and exactly parallel, going directly forward through rivers and lakes, and when they meet with stacks of hay or corn, gnawing their way through them instead of passing round. These excursions usually precede a rigorous winter, of which the lemmings seem in some way forewarned. Vast troops of wild-ass or onagar of the ancients, which inhabit the mountainous deserts of Great Tartary, feed during the summer in the tracts east and north of Lake Aral. In autumn they collect in herds of hundreds and even thousands and direct their course towards Persia, To enjoy a warm retreat during winter. Bands of two or three hundred quaggas, a species of wild ass, are sometimes seen to migrate from the tropical plains of southern Africa to the vicinity of the Malalavine river. During their migrations they are followed by lions who slaughter them night by night. The migratory swarms of the springbok or cape antelope afford another illustration of the rapidity with which a species under certain circumstances may be diffused over a continent when the stagnant pools of the immense deserts south of the orange river dry up which often happens after intervals of three or four years myriads of these animals desert the parched soil and pour down like a deluge on the cultivated regions near the cape the havoc committed by them resembles that of the african locusts and so crowded are the herds that the lion has been seen to walk in the midst of the compressed phalanx, with only as much room between him and his victims as the fears of those immediately around could procure by pressing outwards. Doctor Horsfield mentions a singular fact in regard to the geographical distribution of the medius melesceps, an animal intermediate between the polecat and the badger. It inhabits Java and is confined exclusively to those mountains which have an elevation of more than seven thousand feet above the level of the ocean on these it occurs with the same regularity as many plants the long extended surface of java abounding with conical points which exceed this elevation affords many places favourable for its resort on ascending these mountains the traveller scarcely fails to meet with this animal which from its peculiarities is universally known to the inhabitants of these elevated tracts while to those of the plains it is as strange to an animal from a foreign country In my visits to the mountainous districts, I uniformly met with it, and, as far as the information of the natives can be relied on, it is found on all the mountains. Now, if asked to conjecture how the middles arrived at the elevated regions of each of these isolated mountains, we might say that before the island was peopled by men, by whom their numbers are now thinned, they may occasionally have multiplied, so as to be forced to collect together and migrate. In which case, notwithstanding the slowness of their motions, some few would succeed in reaching another mountain, some twenty or even, perhaps, fifty miles distant. For although the climate of the hot intervening plains would be unfavourable to them, they might support it for a time, and would find there abundance of insects on which they feed volcanic eruptions which at different times have covered the summits of some of those lofty cones with sterile sand and ashes, may have occasionally contributed to force on these migrations end of section eighty six